Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Don't have a co-host tonight because this week we're getting a little bit of insight into uh, the Michigan State Spartans as Penn State's heading to East Lansing to take them on this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. on ABC. And while we didn't get someone who covers Michigan State, we got someone who has a Michigan State degree and also probably uh, has a better sense of the pulse of college football than 99.9999999999% of humans. Our pal Chris Vanini at The Athletic. Chris, what's going on? Uh, you know, a lot's going on. A busy Thanksgiving week, as always. And uh, certainly some news at the time we're recording in uh, your neck of the woods. Uh, well, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, so not necessarily my neck That's of the true. woods. But it does... It does it does reverberate to impact my neck of the woods, I suppose, uh, because they're going to th- that's going to be Luke Fickle's price after Ryan Day leaves for theirs in a few weeks. But uh, because Chris is here and because Chris, again, has a really good sense of things in the world of college football, I figured before we dive into the game, Chris, can I just get your really quick thoughts on this extension from James Franklin that, you know, you go and you read the release. He got a little bit more money, uh, but he made it a point to say Penn State's going to invest really heavily in Stuff like facilities, stuff like housing for athletes, stuff like NIL, things of that nature. Yeah, he's been pretty, you know, outspoken publicly about the need for more of that. Um, So the idea that his raise is maybe not all that much isn't a a surprise. But the buyout side of it, uh, to me, is the story. I I mean, a 10-year contract, which is just all the the, the rage now. Jimbo Fisher's got a 10-year contract. Jeff Trailer at UTSA just got a 10-year contract. Mel Tucker might get a 10-year contract, notably for more money than James Franklin. Mm-hmm. But it's the buyout and the guarantee that really jumps out to me. Franklin's getting at least $80 million out of this whole deal, um, no matter what he does. That is nice. I wish I had that kind of contract, but I don't. <laughs> I, um, I, I think we're all that, but it actually uh, reminded me that this is a new-ish thing in college football, but I completely forgot that da- this was kind of the extension that Davos Swinney got about uh, two years ago, his extension with Clemson. That was 10 years, $93 million. And uh, you mentioned the buyout that had a, a buyout that is very favorable to Davos so long as he is not leaving to take the Alabama job. Right. Those, the, the, that's very different about these. Jimbo has no buyout if he wants to leave. Franklin starts at 12 million. It's it's 8 million in next year's head coaching cycle. It's six after that, and then it drops to two. So he's sticking around for at least what two full two or three full more seasons before probably that buyout becomes an issue for uh before that buyout does not become an issue for anybody. It's the same thing with Trailer. His buyout starts at seven and a half. We don't know what a potential Mel Tucker buyout would look like, but that's a big part of it. So James Franklin isn't going anywhere. Jimbo Fisher still could. Uh, and that that's an important uh, distinction. Yeah, and in three years or whatever, I think we'll get a, a, a really good sense of, one, where things are going down the road with Penn State with the stuff that James Franklin wants. And then also uh, how, with how things are going on the field, if Penn State's a little more likely to say uh, to James and Jimmy Sexton, like, listen, uh, Florida needs another head football coach for the millionth time. But that's that's all stuff for another podcast. We'll talk about that on our neck of the woods. We have Chris on here to talk about two th- things. Penn State, Michigan State this weekend and the greatest trophy in all of athletics and really anything that hands out a trophy. It's better than an Oscar, an Emmy, anything like that. Before we get into uh, our beautiful land grant trophy, Chris, I want to just ask about 
this Michigan State season. It's it, I kind of got the sense in just the little bit of reading I did up on Michigan State coming into the year. Coming off of a 2-5 and five season, uh, Mel Tucker's – that was his second full year as a head coach – it seemed like not, you know, not that there was crazy pessimism, like, oh, God, this is going to spiral or anything like that. But it was just like, ooh, that wasn't particularly great. Now we sit here nine and two, 20 some odd additions in the transfer portal. Is there a sense that this season, from what, what you understand, that it was a bit of a surprise that this was one of those, hey, if everything goes right, it could go this way? Or is this something that as someone who knows a bit about Michigan State football, you were like, oh, you know what, coming into this season, I can absolutely see how they end up going nine, ten wins during the regular season. I mean, the the, the over-under coming into the year was, I think, four wins. And every MSU fan I know was taking the over. They were thinking probably six and six, maybe seven and five. They, they mm-hmm. expected a step forward. They did not expect a step forward by that much to get into the top five or six or whatever they were to be in the playoff mix in late November. Um, so, so that is where the surprise has come that top level success because, you know, Kenneth Walker is a Heisman candidate and not many people have had heard of him. I mean, I had heard back in the spring that they really, really liked him, but no one saw this coming. So it's certainly overachieving in all aspects, but, a little more overachieving, I think, among MSU fans than maybe the rest of the country thought. He beat two top 10 teams technically last year in Michigan and Northwestern. He also laid a bunch of eggs and had some blowout losses. So that's what was kind of a mixed bag that first year. Yeah, and I, I think the last couple of weeks, Michigan State's been one and two in their last three games with losses to Purdue and Ohio State, uh, then just a loss to Maryland. Like I, I didn't. I thought they were emphatic. They were something of reality checks. But I thought, like, and this is just my sense of it. I thought that was more just they matched up really badly against those teams. I didn't necessarily think that indicated, you know, the rest of the season was a fluke or anything like that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the, the, the pass defense is not great. Um, we knew that coming in. And one thing we know that Ohio State under Ryan Day always does is they do not take their foot off the pedal. They know your weakness. They will attack it. That's what he did. It's not exactly what Jim Harbaugh did, and that's one reason they lost to Michigan State. Um, you know, MSU came into the game dead last in passing yards per game allowed. That was a bit of a misnomer because they had faced far more pass attempts than anybody else in the country. The yards per pass coming in was like actually like in the top 30, but they just had been beaten by short routes up and down the field. And then they get in the red zone and they put up a wall and they make you kick field goals and they don't give up touchdowns. That's typically what the defense has done. That didn't happen against Ohio State. They got yeah. a lot of big plays. They got everything. Um, th- there was no red zone wall up. Everything went down. So when you, when you talk about really the pass defense, that was the problem. That's Ohio State's best weakness. They have three NFL receivers on that team and a Heisman potential quarterback. And the result is 49 nothing at halftime. Yeah, and Purdue is also just another team that is going to go, 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 go. And they, they see yes. like they threw the entire kitchen sink at Michigan State. It's something that happens. We'll get to the game in a second, but we have to talk about the trophy. We have to talk about uh, something that James Franklin really eloquently described at the end of last year's game. I actually didn't remember him saying this. I actually straight up might have just missed him saying this 
altogether. Uh, but he said that the trophy uh, looks like your great uncle made it in a workshop with leftover parts. He kept going on about how beautiful it is. Uh, Colton Pouncey, your colleague at The Athletic, wrote a really great piece two years ago that dove into just how it became this uh, kind of ubiquitous meme among Penn State and Michigan State fans. Chris, I'm just going to give you the floor. Say whatever you want about the trophy because it, it is the weirdest looking thing on earth and you are the only person i know who loves it more than i do so much fun over in recent years that it's become it's really become a, a meme and an ironic love so much so that it's starting to actually kind of mean something <laughs> and i think and i and i think that's what james franklin's comments basically were like yeah it's ugly and we want it. And, and that that's kind of the point. And, you know, there were a number of years, a couple of years ago, I was really, really upset that they moved the Michigan State-Penn State game to not the last game of the season. I mean, like, it was clearly taking up so much of the oxygen, they needed to spread it around to Michigan, Ohio State, and all the other games to give them some attention. They couldn't have everybody focused on the Lion Grand Trophy. So I, I got that. But... <laughs> It's it's back now in its rightful place at the end of the season, and uh, there's nothing more important. And it is a completely ugly trophy that I think George Perlis and Joe Paterno kind of came up with back in the day. Um, and it's wonderful. And there's that YouTube video that you know we share every year. Don't know the person who made it. The song to Michelle Branch is everywhere with a bunch of goofy photos of the trophy. Some of it photoshopped onto the Yalta conference and the JFK shooting and stuff like that. I don't know who made that. That person is a hero uh, of mine. Um, so it's, it's been fun. Yeah. I, it's, I, I think the reason that we love college football is because of just the weird, silly stuff that happens. And like, what is a better example of weird, silly stuff than a trophy that is like just a leftover bit of a bookcase that got ripped apart. And they were just like, we need to have every bit of the schools represented on it than that. And like I uh, the story I always tell was 2016 Penn State beats Michigan State. I'm at the stadium for it. I'm watching the game. Penn State wins the Big 10 championship. Also win the Land Grant trophy off of that. And Penn State's players are walking around with whatever they got for winning the Big 10 East. And then off to the side, you just see two linemen like trying to hoist up the Big 10 the Land Grant trophy because of how cumbersome it is. And you make a really good point. Like, it does seem like it has gotten to a point, Chris, where, like, yeah, it's silly and it's unorthodox, but it's gotten so silly and so unorthodox and there's so much lore over it that both of these schools legitimately won it. And also, like, let's be honest, you if you are better than Michigan State or you are better than Penn State in a given season, there's a really good chance you have you're, you have a good chance at winning the Big Ten East. So, like... I love it because there's also stakes associated with it. And you can't say that with every trophy in college football. Yeah, it, it has gained a lot more meaning over the last 15 years, really. I mean, before yeah. that, it was kind of one-sided. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, to your point, I, 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 you know, we talk about what it looks like and everything like that. To me, what stands out about it is how big it is. <laughs> Why is it so big? Why does it need two linemen to lift it up? Why does it need a dolly to be moved around? Like the design was one thing, but who made it so big? <laughs> it weighs more easily, than it, it weighs more you than seventy make, pounds. <laughs> you could make this thing three feet tall, two and a half feet tall, and you're good. They made this thing ginormous, and I think that's the best part about it. Yeah, I 
I I cannot wait to watch this game because of the stuff that's going to happen at the end with someone lifting up that incredibly cumbersome trophy. But then also it should be an actually pretty interesting football game. I mean, I think most people would be surprised to hear with how both of their respective seasons have gone, that Penn State's a one-point favorite in this game. Penn State is uh, a bit higher than Michigan State in SP+. The Spartans come in at 34th in the country, 32 on offense, 30 on defense, 103 on special teams. Penn State's 12th, 64th, 5th, and 27th, respectively. Let's start by looking at Michigan State's offense, Chris. And it's a bit banged up. Kenneth Walker uh, got injured against Ohio State. Jaden Reed picked up a knock against Ohio State. Jalen Naylor uh, hasn't played since Michigan. That's, if I had to estimate, something like 80-some-odd percent of their offense. There are three really good players running back and two wide receivers. They are banged up, but when they're healthy, this is, I would say, one of the best offenses in the country at being able to find balance and beat you either through the air or on the ground. It's been a very balanced attack that can do a lot of different things and get a lot of big plays in different ways, which is the which was the biggest problem late in the Mark Antonio era was that they could never get explosive plays. And Kenneth Walker does that in the run game, and Reed and Naylor do that in the pass game. Naylor's been out for a bit. He's been, he's been a pretty big loss um, on his own. But to potentially lose Jaden Reed, who's the top receiver on top of that, would be um, quite a, a tough go. Kenneth Walker, we, we don't really know what their status is. Even coming out of the latest press conferences, it doesn't seem like we really know. Um, that That's huge. If, if all three of those guys, I mean, I guess Reed and Walker are the new ones, but if, if Walker and Reed are out on top of the other injuries, I don't know if Michigan State can get something going here. Um, so we'll have to see. Those three guys um, are, are incredibly important. Yeah, uh, Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal posted this, but a quote from Trey Mosley earlier today. It's hard to replace Jaden Reed or Jalen Naylor, but if we do it as a group, we'll be fine. And that's, you know, obviously just college football. There's an element of college football, uh, you know, don't want to give up, don't want to reveal your hand too much. But that's still a quote that uh, made me raise my eyebrows a little bit for all the reasons you mentioned, you, you know, you kind of went on about the, those two receivers, Kenneth Walker, who are the other standouts on this offense uh, who, when things are cooking, they are guys who are going to make you pay attention to them. Uh, tight end Tyler Hunt has been a, a very solid weapon for, for Peyton Thorne is kind of an underneath guy. I don't have his stats up right in front of me. I'll pull it up here, but he's actually, he's a fun story. He came He's a converted punter who was a punter and quarterback in high school. Uh, he came to MSU, and now he's a tight end. So a punter turned tight end <laughs> is, is the ultimate Big Ten story. He's got 14 catches uh, on, on the year. Um, another guy, um, Mosley, who you just mentioned, he's another one. He's got two touchdowns. He's been the number three receiver all year. Um, so he, he, he would be the top guy if the other two can't go. And then Connor Hayward, who is a former running back who briefly entered the transfer portal, then came back. He is beefed up and is now an H-back type of role. He actually hasn't taken a carry all year, but he has 26 catches, averaging 8.8 yards per catch. Um, Related to uh, uh, Cam Hayward and um, Ironhead Hayward is his dad, uh, uh, Craig Hayward. 
um, as well. So he comes from a pretty prolific football family. He's been talked about as a, as a draft pick now. He got a senior bowl invite. Mm. So he, he's, he, if you see a big beefy number 11 out there, uh, th- that's Hayward. It's kind of hard to miss. And he can hurdle guys too. He's done it a couple of times. So he is, he's quite a, uh, quite a physical specimen. And then moving on to the other side of the football, uh, something you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, Michigan State's run defense is quite good, but when it comes to throwing the football on them, you can generally have a bit of success doing that. I actually went through while you were talking and looked at their top eight guys in tackles, safety, linebacker, safety, safety, linebacker, cornerback, safety, cornerback. It seems like teams, if they can get the ball out against this defensive front, which not a particularly easy thing to do. It's not particularly easy to run through them. It seems like teams are having a little bit of success moving the ball when that second and third level of the defense has to get involved. That, I'm, I'm assuming that's fair? Yeah, like M- Michigan State has, has faced 522 passes. Uh, opponents are throwing the ball on them 47 and a half times per game. Oof. 47 and a half. That's almost 10 more than the next closest team, which is Hawaii. At 39, it's just they're, they're giving up the most passers, but because they're just simply giving up so many passes, uh, they are currently 55th in yards per attempt. So it's it, it's it's a lot of short routes, like I said, dig routes, out routes, some crossing patterns. That's basically how people outside of Ohio State have moved the ball on MSU. It's death by a thousand short and medium routes. Um, so I'm curious if, if Penn State decides to rely heavy on that passing game and, and have Sean uh, Clifford throw it 40 times because that's probably what it's going to uh, need to, to happen as one. And, yeah, the, the run game has been uh, – the, the run defense, I'm sorry, has been pretty good. They are, let me pull up, 20th in yards per attempt on the ground. So they've been pretty solid there. The front, the, 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 the defensive line is pretty good. though. They have been a bit banged up there as well, a Quivarius Crouch, a – Tennessee transfer linebacker has been out for the past few games um, as well. So, yeah, if you want to beat Michigan State, you got to throw the ball a lot. Yeah, Franklin had some quote today uh, about you don't want to go too far in one direction because then it throws your entire plan out of whack and you're, you know, almost in a way playing to what the other team wants you to do if you're going to just shoot yourself in the foot by taking an element of your offense out. I did want to ask, when you say teams are throwing on them that much, is that because – Michigan State's just getting out to leads. It's that just because, you know, teams are kind of doing what Franklin alluded to and going, well, we can't run on them, so we might as well throw it. Like, what, how, it, or is it just straight up that Michigan State, that's the one thing that they will give you? Teams are just going, all right, we'll take this. I, I think it's a mix of both. I, I mean, they give up just long, slow drives. They're, I think, 93rd and third down defense. That That has been. A problem. I actually want to see who's had the most plays. Yeah, Michigan State is second to last in the country in plays allowed. They've allowed 910 plays uh, in, in 11 games. So it's probably about 80-ish plays a game they're giving up. It, it's just kind of how teams have decided to move, to move the ball on them. Um, and because they, they know it's there. I you know Obviously, yes, James Franklin's right. You can't throw what you like to do out the window. But you really got to adjust to what the, the opponent does. And I yeah. think Michigan probably could have won that game if they had basically continued to throw the ball with Cade McNamara instead of done some of the running stuff they did, like 
uh, like J.J. McCarthy's fumble and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, what, one of these, just as an aside, one of these days I'll have someone explain the J.J. McCarthy thing to me and I'll maybe get it. But until then, uh, let's ask one more thing about Michigan State's defense. Who are the players to watch on this one? Obviously, Penn State and Michigan State will uh, sometimes go and recruit uh, some of the same players. So there are going to be some names that are going to be familiar to Nittany Lion fans. Jacob Panishuk is the one that James Franklin specifically mentioned during his press conference today. Uh, he's obviously one of them. Is there anyone else who really pops on this defense? Yeah, Jacob Panishuk on the defensive line, he, he's their probably, probably their top guy there. Xavier Henderson, safety maybe their top defensive player. He's been a captain every week. He's got 89 tackles, 10 TFLs, uh, an interception, three sacks from the safety position. So Oof. they like to bring him. And there's uh, linebacker Cal Halliday is a fun player to watch, literally watch, because he has no shoulder pads, no, no uh, gloves, no wrist tape, nothing. He is pure bare arms out there. And it's such a throwback <laughs> look. You can't help but like notice that there's a guy out there who looks a little bit different because of that. he actually has a big club on one of his hands now because he has an injury there. So it's not as clean as it used to be. But he's got 74 tackles, uh, two and a half for loss. He's, he's a guy who's uh, maybe a bit undersized but always finds his, finds his way to the ball. So you'll probably hear his name a lot. Yeah, he went to a went to high school about 15 minutes away from me at Southern Columbia in Catawissa, PA. Uh, Penn State fans will recognize that as Julian Fleming's old high school. So, uh, local boy uh, looks like he did not have an offer from Penn State, but has headed over to East Lansing, done some incredible things. Chris, let's wrap this up with some predictions. Start by playing a quick game of fill in the blank, and we'll start with Michigan State. Michigan State wins this game if blank. <sighs> They win the game if Walker and Reed play, and um, and they they cut down on the explosive. They don't give up the explosive plays like they typically don't, but but did against Ohio State. And then other side of the ball, Penn State wins if blank. If Walker and Reed do not play, and James Franklin needs, and James Franklin realizes he should probably throw the ball forty times in this game. Well, even with uh. Even if uh, Penn State didn't have issues running the football, I'm inclined to believe that they would uh, they would probably rely on that. I think that was probably a bit of whip service from James Franklin. But uh, neither here nor there. Chris, let's get your prediction. We don't have SP Plus's uh, prediction for the game. We're recording this a little bit earlier in the week because of the holiday. But I would, I'm inclined to believe they'll probably have Penn State slightly ahead of Michigan State. FPI has Penn State at a 52% chance of winning this game. Penn State one point favorite over under 51 and a half. Where are you leaning on this one? What do you think about all those numbers? And when the dust settles in East Lansing, who do you think is going to come out on top? I mean, to me, it really, I've already said it twice, but to me, it comes down to if Kenneth Walker and Jaden Reed play. I mean, I mean, Walker is maybe the best running back in the country. Reed is MSU's top receiver. If they are out, then Penn State then I don't see any way Michigan State wins this game. Um, mm. If they play, if they play, uh, then then I'm going to pick the Spartans. Um, so it it really just kind of comes down to me uh, to that for me because those guys are such impactful players, and there's not a lot of impact behind them if they're out. Interesting. So you're not like concerned 
Well, even if they they do play, you think that Michigan State's not going to the kind of the big thing that's been on my mind in this is so many times we've seen Penn State lose to Ohio State and then come out against Michigan State and struggle. You don't think there that's going to be something that's lingering? You think Mel, Tuck, Mel Tucker has been done a really good job of uh, kind of building up the program to a point where stuff like that just isn't going to linger? Well, we haven't gotten a big track record on that because it's only yeah. a second season. One, one thing about Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio said they always came out of the Michigan game and won. They won the week after Michigan, no matter what happened. Uh, this, you know, Tucker's now 0-2 the week after Michigan. Um, so that's that's one thing. Last year, obviously, they got blown out by Ohio State at home, went to Penn State, and played somewhat competitive, but they were pretty undermanned and ended up losing that game. So, um, yeah, we Tucker bouncing back off a loss. Haven't seen it a ton. They played pretty well against Maryland uh, coming off of the Purdue game. This is a home game. You know, they're undefeated at home. Um, they really like playing there. And I, I think if those guys play, I think that kind of in totality is enough for MSU to get a win. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate we're not doing our pod where I have to make prediction yet because I legitimately have no idea what I think is going to happen in this game. I hope it's going to be a really good one. I could see literally anything happening in it. Uh, but no matter what, there's one big giant 70 pound prize waiting at the end of it for whomever wins. And I cannot wait to see, I hope with my whole heart that is making, that is going to stay in happy Valley uh, in large part, because I have no idea how you get that on an airplane. Chris, uh, let the people know where they can find you, what you got going on. And uh, yeah, just a- everything in the world of Chris Vanini. Yeah. Just uh, at Chris Vanini on Twitter. Um, I've got all my stuff there pretty high up in my timeline. The athletic, at theathletic.com, uh, got all kinds of stuff going on there now, college football and coaching changes and all kinds of stuff right there. And I'm actually, real quick before we go, I'm looking this up. The all-time Michigan State-Penn State series is 17-17-1. Yeah, that's right. It's all on the line in this one. Yeah, Penn State leads the trophy 16-9. But, Ooh, uh, yeah, so okay. there's a lot on the lot on the line here. The, <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited uh, to see who gets bragging rights and, and historical series revolving around a thing that has its own gravitational pull. But Chris, thank you very much for coming on to this edition of the pod. And everyone, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. Wherever you go and get your podcast, you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that, make sure you're going out and buying T-shirts. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, all the stuff that goes here at the end of the pod every week. One last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.